Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Kevin Gibbon with Airhouse. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes the misplaced step offers the most profound and lasting insight. Innately entrepreneurial, Airhouse CEO and co-founder Kevin Gibbon got his start in tech developing software for major aerospace players like Boeing and Raytheon. After a few years, he set out to carve his own path, building ship, attracting $62.1 million in funding, and landing on Fast Company's 50 most innovative companies list. Unfortunately, ship was a bright star that ultimately burned out, but Kevin walked away from the experience equipped with reams of priceless insight. At Airhouse, he's applying that insight to revolutionize the way the DTC e-commerce brands scale logistics. And here today is our new friend, Kevin. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, my man, I'm super curious to learn more about your story. Uh, Tell us, how did we get here today? Yeah, it's it's been it's been a journey. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, my, my background is in engineering. So that's why I went to software engineering. That's what I went to for school. I, I in my early twenties, I worked for some larger companies. Um, I'm also Canadian, um, and I um, I don't know. I I've always had kind of the entrepreneurial bug. So having small um, side projects while I was working at these larger companies. And um, I started a super small internet company um, from my, my mid twenties um, in Vancouver, in Canada, um, and we we had a few hundred thousand uh, users. We'd had no revenue model. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. It was like a it was a shopping app, um, and uh, we we had some success. And um, I kind of uh, I flew down to San Francisco, and um, I just saw um, a, a huge difference between um what the the energy and just like what was possible um in san francisco and the bay area and and the silicon valley kind of zeitgeist and um it just got me really excited and i wanted to so my very first company did not work out um and then i decided to move to san francisco um to do my next thing um which turned into the the Mm -hmm. company that you mentioned which was was ship um and it was really around uh the the things that were happening at the time so this was 2014 um uber and lyft were just getting started and i previously had a ebay business um in my my teens and i was just like how like can you is is there a way that you could use like the the, the whole thing around like uber was happening it's like you have this remote Mm -hmm. control in your pocket you could basically do anything you you could use a a phone to actually like get physical services delivered to you or do whatever i'm like well that's interesting like i had a really big pain point on the shipping side of things so like can you apply this to shipping and that's essentially what we did we built a consumer um shipping service that was on demand so you basically took a picture of whatever you wanted to ship um and we had employees we had warehouses we would come to you pick up your item unpackaged or packaged we would Mm. bring it back to one of our warehouses and then we'd ship it anywhere in the world so we we had like we would do crazy things like you could literally just hand us a bike if you sold it on ebay or something like that um and we would package it and send it off um and the product was uh it was amazing um and we raised a ton of venture capital so 
yeah, 60 plus million dollars. Um, and we were, um, we were supposed to be the next Uber of company, um, yeah. but unfortunately, the business didn't work out. Um, and then I took all my learnings and and, and we're here building Airhouse now, which I, I definitely get more more into. Uh, but that's kind of how how yeah. I, I've I've got here. Uh, what was the main? I know there might have been a few you know few things in retrospect that that led to ship not working, but what really was the fundamental problem? We, we didn't, the, the market wasn't big enough. Um, uh, hmm. So it, it wasn't a pure tech company. Uh, so we had to have warehouses. We had to have people mm-hmm. picking up items. And so we had a city by city rollout. Um, it wasn't like, it seems like it's like Uber because you're like, oh, you press a button, something happens. Yeah. But we had real infrastructure. So we had a lot of capex that actually went into like launching a new market. And we had to have enough uh, consumers in that city um, to be profitable. Um, mm-hmm. And then we just didn't, there's just not enough people that ship frequently enough to make that into like a, a venture scale business, like, like an Uber is or a DoorDash, right? Like you think of the frequency of use, like even their businesses are, are like, I think, I think Uber just reported earnings today. Like they're, they're, they're finally profitable. Um, and yeah. that's after how, how long, and they don't have facilities or wow. any hard costs. It, it's, it's all, it is truly only technology. Um, but, and, and, and me being very early on in my career building businesses, I was mm-hmm. like, that's going to be the same thing. Um, yeah. but you just need, you need that frequency of use. Um, and you also need enough people that will actually use a service. And so ultimately we couldn't make it work because we would grow really super fast in a city. And then we would basically top out because people only ship at most four times a year. And even if we doubled that because it's made, we made it easier. People sell, sell more things on eBay or whatever that the frequency of use piece is just, it's, it's not enough mm-hmm. to, to kind of cover the cost of having warehouses. Have, we even had our own vans and like all of these things. Um, and so that it's, we, we couldn't get the unit economics. Ultimately we, we, we were um, operationally uh, break even eventually, um, but we couldn't get to profitability and um, the, the venture market changed. Um, it, it it did at that time. It was funding Uber ofs for a lot of different sectors, and we had negative gross margins. And that is you should never start a business with negative gross margins. <laughs> yeah, that means every incremental dollar that you're spending, it's costing it's you more money. You're not making any money. Yeah. Um. And at that time, it was just like. Oh, economies of scale will work, and like Amazon did this, and this is the version right. of that, and all this. But ultimately, we we just didn't have enough people um, that would use the service frequently enough um, to justify all of the costs that we had. Man, when did you, when did you know, not think, but when did you know this is not going to work? I. I did. I like honestly, like when we shut the business down, I was trying to make it work so bad because mm-hmm. we 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 made so much progress. Like we were a product that people just like gushed over. It was just like yeah. it was that magical. People even would say it's it was even better than Uber, right? Like you imagine, like you want to ship something, one of the most painful processes and we would just like we would come to you you would see somebody on your app and like we would take anything and ship it anywhere in the world and like that's a really magical um process and so we always had that like product fit um but we just didn't have the business and i was trying 
like and and also we had a ton of capital so we were doing the classic use capital to fix problems which is like the worst fucking thing mm-hmm. you could do like more capital meaning hiring more people it is going to actually make you fail faster. Um, mm-hmm. You need to have like that business model needs to work early on and then you need yeah. to use capital to scale it up. And we were thinking that we'd get more volume and we'd get lower prices and we'd get more efficient and everything like that, but we just didn't have enough people using it that we could actually bring the cost down mm-hmm. low enough. Ultimately, like we were at, at the height, we were at um, in six different cities in the US. We had a few hundred employees and we we retrenched back to just San Francisco and we did get that profitable, but it still wasn't enough. Um, so I was still trying to do everything I could for my employees and like the shareholders and everybody who believed in us. And so like, I don't think I, I truly understood that we were like going to fail up until like the, the, the last bitter end. I was trying to raise money on like, Hey, we're profitable now. And then the market's just like, no, like you're profitable on like a gross margin basis, but like, you need you need like a, a, a venture backable business needs to be like 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 growing extremely fast yeah. and have very um, good um, eventually like cash flow um, positive cash flow economics and mm-hmm. we just didn't have that um, yeah. so it was like literally up until like the last and we were we were also trying to pivot to larger businesses um, and that's kind of what takes us to what I was building what we're building with Airhouse. Yeah. But it, it really, I still th- was thinking up until we shut ship down and it's like, we have these customers that love this product. I, I think that we can make it work. But it was just, it's it's hard because you get on this venture capital treadmill and you can't get off it. You just, you just, you just can't. Um, and it, it just is, it just wasn't a business. I don't think that was, would be possible um, in the way that we built it to, um, then. Were there any mentors during that time? that like were, were voices to you. I'm just thinking about like, I didn't know, I didn't want to hear it, but like, did anybody navigate you through that? Where it's like, Oh, here we are at the end. And then we can jump to, to air house. But, um, who are the, who are the key mentors during that time? And even like, what would you advise somebody to like surround yourself with these people during those difficult times? Yeah, I had, I had a few mentors. Um, so I had, um, uh, a CEO coach, Kim Scott. She, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also coached, uh, people like, uh, Jack Dorsey and a lot of other this um, radical candor, very, Kim Scott. This, yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So she, she was awesome. Um, and, um, also I, I'd say that as a mentor, I also had an independent board member, uh, Rita Lane, um, that, uh, she, she was basically responsible for um, bringing the manufacturing of Apple products um, mm-hmm. to China. So she understood a lot about logistics um, and all of those things. And I think that um, people like her, she, she was probably sounding the alarm bells pretty early. Mm-hmm. But it was really hard for me because this is my my first like big, like big success. And we yeah. we came up really fast. And it was really like we raise our seed round and like, everybody's like, you're going to be the next Uber for mm-hmm. shipping. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like my ego grew so large yeah. and I thought that I was like untouchable and like, I, I would make these product decisions and we'd get so like the press that we got was just insane. Like in today's market, there's just so many companies that it's hard to break through the noise. But at that point we were mm-hmm. just so 
unique that we just everything we did was just like oh my god this is this is amazing but it it didn't like it it wasn't actually like the the building a true business like focusing on the economics on like how we actually going to make real money here it was more on like this is a cool product consumers love it but like if you can't make money it's not going to last long so yeah i think that like but uh, the board member uh, rita she would probably sound the alarm bells at the earliest mm -hmm. um and and honestly i probably didn't listen um as as early as i probably as i should yeah. have but looking back at it, I just don't think that that business could have worked the way that we structured it. And and yeah. also, yeah. people have attempted to do something similar. Like what we had competitors, nobody survived, and so I just yeah. don't think that it it could be possible um, the to really build a service like that. Um, you're yeah. essentially you're competing with like. FedEx and UPS, um, they were our partners, but they were also like our competitors. And there's a reason that they, they don't like come and <laughs> yeah. package your shit and like have the bespoke services and all of this because it's really hard to scale. Yeah. And also like yeah. there's, it's just not a big enough need. Like there's just not enough people out there that want this. It's not like Uber where you want to get a ride and you're going to use them three or four times a, a week or the food yeah. that you're going to use them five or 10 times a week. Um, yeah. So it was an amazing product, but yeah, uh, I, I think that I should have listened to a lot of um, people earlier on. Um, and I just thought that like everything I honestly touched, like touched was, would turn into gold because it yeah. kind of had since the beginning of the company. What did that time look like immediately after shutting down ship? What was there right back to the races? Was there a little bit of a, a walkabout, go on a pilgrimage, figure out what's going on? Like what's, what's that period of time look like? The, the day that I was no longer officially uh, involved in ship, I, we incorporated Airhouse. So there, wow. was not one, there was not one day that I took time off. Wow. Fantastic. So, I do not recommend that to anybody. That was a that was a mistake. And the reason yeah. I did it was because at the time, like, so I, I hadn't taken any money off the table. Um, and like I had a, a, a family and I it was basically like start another company or go work for a bigger company. And I was just like, mm -hmm. no, and I'll kind of get into maybe go into like what Harris actually is, but but we were trying to pivot into what now turned into Airhouse inside of ship and it was working. So I was like, there's something here that's actually working. And like, I, I, I either need to like go make money at a big company or I need to try to raise some more money and like continue on Airhouse. And there was really no time that I could take a break off of that. So I had to go immediately into um, uh, building uh, Airhouse. And I, I was just running on like, I don't know, adrenaline or I don't know. It, it definitely, <laughs> yeah. I, I it was not the right thing looking back at it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I had to do. Since, you know, Airhouse is obviously a success now. What 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 is making you say that was a mistake? What about it was a mistake? I, th I, th no, I, I, like, I don't think that it was a mistake. I just wouldn't recommend it to other people. I don't think I had, and my other options were like, I had a lot of like other companies that were trying to recruit me to run whatever. Um, and I would have got like a nice like paycheck, but I wouldn't have been happy at doing mm -hmm. something like that. Um, but I had to make a move to just pay my bills and all, all those things. Um, 
I think that um, it it uh, it was hard on me. My my mental health took like a really big hit. Not taking a break. I didn't see that probably until like a year after Airhouse started. Yeah. So I had a lot of like anxiety. I had started getting getting, getting like panic attacks and all that. And mm. I think that was a direct like. It's like you could run on adrenaline, but eventually your body catches when you have like a time to like take a little bit of a break. It's like, okay, here's all that trauma that you went through that you didn't address. Mm-hmm. And it's like Airhouse is doing great, but it's like it, 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 that's the reason I think that I went through all that kind of me- mental health stuff. Um, yeah. So that that that's the reason I think that I if I could have taken a break, I should have, but yeah. I just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, man. I resonate. We've probably talked about this on the show before, but I have had a similar journey of running hard, not taking time to process and even knowing how to process pressure or the drain or the uncertainty. A lot of it's the uncertainty that you're just constantly in a world of uncertainty, you know, um, and right. it led to anxiety and panic attacks and that type of stuff. And um, what did it, what did that recovery look like for you? You find yourself a year in, you've got a business going, there's something already, the wheels are turning yeah. and yeah. all of a sudden you find yourself feeling, man, I am just you know, overwhelmed. What did it look like to, to recover and get healthy again? Um, it's, it's still a process today. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's therapy. Um, like now I, I'd say like, I've got a pretty good routine. Um, like, Exercise is really important to me. Um, meditation is really important to me. Um, I'm, I'm, I just actually started doing the the classic. It seems like there's there's always a trend, but but like the like cold plunges. I have a cold plunge now. Yeah. Um, it's just really taking time yeah. to to. I think also as you get older, things change. Like even in twenties, you can kind of you're, you're pretty resilient um but I, I think as you get older you you really do need to take care of yourself mentally and physically um so it it's been it's been a journey and and early on i didn't really know what a lot of that stuff was like i never had anxiety growing up and i was like what the fuck's this and <laughs> like like a panic attack like I, you think you're dying like it, it's it's one of the most like it, it's it's such a crazy feeling and then just over the years, I've learned what those things are and, and I've developed things to try to, to counteract that. But it still is like to this day, I need to make sure that that I, I, I keep a check on on like, am I getting enough exercise? Am I meditating? Am I doing all those things? And mm. and make sure that the, my, my mental health is like good so yeah. you can continue on and do the things that you really need to do where before... I never, I never really even knew what that meant. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. The, the, the pain that taught you a life lesson to, to keep with you as you go is similar to the pain of, you know, the first company you started and taking the yeah. lessons and making sure they're applied here. What, what are some of those things that, uh, as you've, as you've built air house, you've been cognizant of that we want to do it this way this time. Um, Make sure you have positive gross margins from day one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think that. So I, I decided to go the the venture route, route again, um, and I, I think that a, a lot of learnings. Um, so, if you think of from a, an investor's perspective, like 
what are they're basically taking like a five percent chance that you're going to be this massive outlier that's what they're mm-hmm. taking and they they have a a portfolio of companies um and so your individual success is not directly tied to their to to them so mm-hmm. you as a founder of one company you need to really make sure that it's going to work because you have all your eggs in this basket where your investors, they'll tell you how great it is and they'll, they'll prop you up and all this. And I, I, even, I had John, the famous venture capitalist, John Doerr, who was one of the first investors in Google and, and Amazon. And, and he, he was, he, he'd say like, I was the next Jeff Bezos and all of that. But, and, and I'm sure he believed it at the time because we were doing so well at a certain point. Um, but you need to understand that dynamic and it's not the same thing. Like you as mm-hmm. you know, the, the entrepreneur, if you're taking venture funding, you need to understand what that actually means. And mm-hmm. you need to be building like a category defining company and mm-hmm. taking that extra, like that $50 million, um, which we, we had a series B um, on at chip, like, that means you're signing yourself up to become a billion dollar company. And so you better actually have that and know that you can actually do that. Mm-hmm. And so I've been very careful with Airhouse. Like the, the, not a lot of entrepreneurs agree with me, but on, on this, but I, I say take as little capital as you need to prove out your next like step, uh, mm-hmm. your next stage of your business. And so even when we built out Airhouse, like, um, fortunately, um, for like second or third time founders, like there's a lot of, if you build something of notable, like so we, we built the product, we ship, it wasn't successful as a business, but building a product at that scale means that you could, you, you know, kind of what you're doing. Yeah. And if you have learned from that, there's going to be a lot of investors that, that actually they, they look for people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to also have a chip on your shoulder as well. Like. Travis from from Uber, this is exactly the, the kind of thing that he had. Um, he had a chip on his shoulder. He had a moderate success early on, but he knew how to build a company. And people look for the investors look for people like that. So like we early on, like we could have raised like ten million dollars out of the gate with just like an idea. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that because that just sign that just signs you up that you're 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 also going to overhire. And so I was like, let's just keep it as small as we possibly can until we get the right signs. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to pivot, to move, uh, to talk to customers and change things when you're small. And so that's my, yeah. my approach with building Airhouse is like, okay, let's, let's take a couple million bucks. That's all we need to have a super small team. Um, we're also a marketplace, so it takes time to get liquidity in that marketplace. So, and then we just raised a, a, a bits and pieces here and there um, as we got to different proof points. And I'd much rather have like you need to you need to find it's it's kind of the in, in venture everybody talks about product market fit, but like you need to do every like keep it as small as you possibly can until you get to that product market fit. And then that's when like venture is like that's when you take that and rocket fuel, and that's when you really expand. But yeah. we never had product market fit at ship. We had product fit, but we didn't have the, the market wasn't pulling it out of us. Mm-hmm. Like we we well, they, not like we have now at Airhouse. Like now at Airhouse, yeah. like we had we're we're it's like it's, it's actually much more overwhelming because we're not at ship. We'd come up with like cool product ideas, but like now we have customers that are like, 
if you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. And because yes. that's how important that we are to their business now. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd say like that to keep it as small as possible until you find that fit is like one of the, the, the major lessons that I learned. Um, but also another big lesson is like you, you can build something like relatively like big and at scale. Like I, before I, I did ship, like I, it's, it's, it's like looking back on it, it's like pretty amazing that you can mm -hmm. like, I, I didn't have, I didn't know anybody in like the, the Silicon Valley. I didn't know any investors and like you could, it's just put like, think of things in small steps and you can really create something extremely meaningful in like a, a global company. Um, mm. So I, I, I took that as like confidence that I knew that I could do something like this again, yeah. but I really wanted to make, make sure that we had a product that was like 10 times better than the competitors, which we did have at ship, but we didn't have like an actual real business model that would work at scale. Yeah. And so that's definitely what we focused on. But other th other things that I took away, like don't hire well, senior management early on. Like that's for when you have things figured out. Like yeah. you want people who are super scrappy and, and probably they, they probably want to found a company themselves one day and they're looking to join your company. So have a lot more of those people. Yeah. I hired way too many senior execs at, at ship because we had, we had the money, right? Yeah. And like money does not solve problems. Um, it truly does not. Um, you need to solve those problems and use the money to accelerate what you already have working, um, yeah. uh, whatever that is. So those are some of the lessons that I, I took away um, from my experience with ship to, to go into to Airhouse. Yeah. It's cool. So it's not the first time that we've heard this, but I even learned from from a mentor. His name's Bronson Taylor, and he was one who just shared that like he really believed that like constraints produce creativity, right? And that you know capital, essentially unlimited capital. He said, "Man, the worst business I ever ran was the one that I had just unlimited capital. You know, I had the the biggest investment. Yep. I could do anything, and like." He goes, even my own creativity, I just found myself, I'd get lazy or whatever. But he's like, man, totally. when it was tight, that that constraint created an amazing amount of, of creativity that emerged from it. It forces you. The, I, I, the, I actually I have the exact same quote to my, my team and I use yeah. it all the time. Like constraints, and this is where other founders don't agree with me because the other founders are like, no, raise as much as money as you can because you 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 need to have all this optionality and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that's good. But like, you're not like you, most companies that are successful, they've they, like, they're like two or three, every, every company has a story. They're like two or three months from running out of money. And then yeah. they, they get it at an infusion and all those stuff. It just, it just forces you to like, with all of your resources, resources that you need to do what's best for the business. There's a lot of yeah. things you have to say no if you have so much capital, you have this big team, you're like, we could do anything. And yeah. also there's just no pressure to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I, th I think that this is one of the main reasons that incumbents get disrupted by startups. It's yeah. like, because they, they can't do that, right? Like they, 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 they have unlimited capital to do a lot of these different things. They're going to do it. They're going to spend way too much money on this project. It's probably not also as important to them either. This yeah. is a side project here. It's like, no, it's a startup. Like this is the only thing we're doing and we don't have a lot of resource resources. We need to be as creative as we possibly can. Yeah. yeah, that's another huge lesson. And I try to raise as little money as we can to prove out that next stage of the business. Yeah. And I'll and I'll continue doing that. Like I don't want to 
raise those monster. So today we've we've raised um, eighteen million dollars to date on Airhouse, mm-hmm. um, which based based on where we are as a company is very little. Um, yeah, and and a lot of other companies, especially in like the twenty. 21 era when capital interest rates were zero like like we could have taken a lot more and i was like no we don't need this and i even took like our last round like a lower valuation all this like when you you sign yourself up for all these things you need to produce so like today there's there's so many zombie companies that have taken hundreds of millions of dollars of funding they have like a million or two uh, in in revenue Mm -hmm. like they're they're they could go on forever but like they they don't have a fit with anything, mm. and so capital doesn't actually solve your problems. You need to yeah. find a solution to somebody's problem that's ten times better, and you know, need to know that you could reproduce that in a, in a capital efficient way, and you have a real business model. Yeah. Um, and then that's when you should take on more more capital and expand your team and all those different things. Yeah. When you said optionality, it reminded me of the old good to great. Uh, Jim Collins quote was somewhere within that book, but he talks about most companies dying from indigestion, right? They, most companies die from indigestion yes. of too many good ideas versus, you know, not the enough. Same thing. And yep. just that, yep. like, we can be so afraid that like, if I don't have my options, if I don't have the ability to have all these different routes, that that could cause me to fail. It's like, no, that'll mean you're fat <laughs> and you're slow it is. and you're out of shape and you're unhealthy is actually you want to be a little bit lean, right? I mean, I guess that's the the whole idea of the, the lean startup in, in some ways. Um, but yeah, you you want to be lean, right? And that the like the constraint right. of focus where you've only got one path, that's right. just a little bit more of like Gary Keller's one thing book of like, why does that hit for so many people? Well, it forces them right. to make this choice and this constraint, and then they're able to achieve that. And most at least especially on people's personal lives, they just need to start making progress in some of those things that they've been right. talking about for the last five years. I wish I was X, Y, or Z better in my life at, at this. And they choose that right. one thing and things start to, to progress forward. But exactly. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. You know, for, for me, the thing I was searching for as you were sharing was like, what does the entrepreneur get trapped in thinking is a really nice thing that's the opposite of what you're saying, which is like, hey, you don't need right. it all right now. And it's that thing like, hey, I'm doing optionality. Because that actually kind of sounds like you probably should have that. That sounds nice. Optionality. You don't want that. Diversify you want your, your risk, you know, you got yeah. multiple things. Yeah, you don't want that. That that's that's not yeah, that's not how you build like amazing companies or products or something like yeah. that. You need to be just laser focused on this one problem for customers. And that's that's how you do create like ten time better, ten mm. x better solutions. It's not about doing spreading your 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 team so thin across so many different bets. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's a it's a massive mm. trap. And also, yeah, you, like you you take on a lot of capital, and you you definitely you get lazy too. Like you don't have that urgency of mm-hmm. like we we need to hit this milestone or else we don't. It's like no, we could. We ha- there's some companies out there that have raised so much. It's like we we have five years of runway in the bank. It's like you're gonna die. I I know <laughs> this company's gonna die. Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's no companies that have done that that have done well. Like I, yeah. I, I it, it just doesn't happen. But we ended up in this world, and it, it happens all the time, right? Like 
there's always these hype cycles that happens. Like right now we're in an AI hype cycle. And so there's so much capital available for um, any company that's in AI. Before it was crypto and and I, I also got, got caught up in the, the Uber for everything um, hype cycle. But there's just, you have need to understand from a, a venture capital perspective, they're, they're looking for that one company that's going to be the breakout. And so like they have a portfolio that they do spread themselves a little thin. Yeah. But you as the entrepreneur, like I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to build in like a, a hype cycle. Like the chances of me succeeding when I have a thousand other companies that are all like competing against, like trying to solve the same problem. No. So I chose, and maybe this kind of is, is a nice segue into what Airhouse is, is, is like, I chose a double down and on what I I knew. So like we were in the like ship was in the logistics industry, but we're also a tech company. And I was like, I, and also one of the reasons that I moved to San Francisco is like, there's so many things like when you, when you want to build like a, a big company, there's so many things that for one are out of your control, but are just like, Anything you could do to increase your chances of success, I'm all for. So one of that was moving to San Francisco, surround yourself with great other people that have done this before, uh, other peers, other investors, be closer to what, where all the, the action's happening. <clears throat> Another one is is like going like from ship, like I learned a lot about the logistics and shipping industry. And I think that was like, I didn't come from that background. Like I, I haven't worked like for 30 years for ch robinson or ups or something like that i i could look at this industry with like fresh eyes <clears throat> and apply um what we've learned at building ship um in in a way that that other people just wouldn't have, have, have thought so what airhouse essentially is 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 we don't have any assets we help uh direct-to-consumer companies with their fulfillment um we have our partners are 3PLs, which are basically warehouses that will ship, will store, um, pack and ship your items. And we just thought that there, there, there wasn't uh, a platform out there for you to know who you should work with. Um, the software out there was really outdated. The, the best 3PLs tend to have even the worst software. So we're like, what if we just built a marketplace and a platform that had all of the three PLs on it and we would know who the best ones are to use. And then we would manage that for our customers. And that's just something we arrived at based on my knowledge. And it's definitely not, it's, it's, it's tough because I know how good of a business we we have, but like, it's not in, it's, we're never going to be in that hype cycle that we're going to be able to raise massive amounts of capital, which is a good thing. Uh Um, But I was just like, we, I had at, at Chip, we had like five or six years of experience in this industry. And I think I uncovered a lot of like things that could be done differently. And I was like, I would rather double down on this versus going and trying to chase whatever that next like interesting technology or this AI or whatever. It's like the chance of me succeeding um, on this because I I have this unfair advantage of being in this industry, uh, but but not actually being in the industry. Like I, I'm an engineer by trade, so I think I look at everything from a tech lens. Um, I think that would increase our chances of success versus me trying to go and like build the next Uber of whatever or AI of whatever kind of thing, which you see so many other companies doing. The chances of success are just so low for you as an entrepreneur. But from a venture capitalist perspective. They look for the outsized returns. So they are 
betting that that, that if they invest in you, they're betting most likely that there's a five five percent chance that you will work out, and that's good enough for you. But you, as the founder, that's not the same equation. You have you have all your eggs in one basket, and so it's just like I want to stack the odds in my favor. So I want to go deeper in this industry, um, and and it's worked out extremely well so far. Yeah, I love that idea of stacking the odds in your favor. And you've mentioned a few things already. So one was moving where you need to move to that's whether it's to be around business to be around other like minded people, that kind of thing. Uh, You talked about stacking the odds in your favor and the way that you approach venture capital, uh, niching down. Does anything else come to mind just in that subject of like, how else can we stack the odds in our favor? We know it's going to be tough making a business sustainable growing, you know, it's hard enough. What can we do to, to 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 shift the odds some that we can make it? I think it's it's um, finding uh, yeah like my, getting a, a good network of, of people um, so like peers um, uh, that are going through um, the the same things that you're doing. I think that there's a lot of content out there that never used to exist before. So people are much more open around sharing their experiences, and I think you could learn a lot from that. Um, and and hopefully not make the same mistakes that other people have, um, and and also I'd say like hiring just amazing people. So like early on before a chip, I would be pretty quick to hire people, um, and now I'm pretty slow, um, especially for those first ten people. So they're gonna really make your company. Like eventually, like you're gonna move if you just start a company you're gonna move from like you're you're doing the execution to like the management piece to like more of the vision piece and investor relations or whatever if you're the ceo so make sure those first like 10 people that you hire are like really rock solid and that is basically they're gonna they're gonna hire other like-minded people and that's what really is the foundation of your company. Um, so I think those are those are all things that you could do. But I see a lot of people that they just aren't like the moving thing. I, I know that like today we we live in like a, a remote um, world. I'm still very much of the case like move to a city, whatever whatever industry you're you're in. Um, you should move to that city. Um, mm-hmm. And especially if you're new to it, like there's tons of meetups and whatever. That's how I, I built my initial network. Like yeah. sitting in, in just like where you grew up or whatever and thinking you could build something. It's just, it, I, I just don't believe that that could, that could work. Um, or it is your chances are going to be a lot less. So there's a lot of things that you could do to um, increase the odds of, of your success. But I think that there's just a lot of people who are, scared to make those the moves um or take the time to really learn a subject or or build a network and it, it it's not easy um and it takes a lot of hard work but it definitely pays off in the end yeah talk about the first 10 hires uh i like the concept of that of you gotta hit yeah the first 10 hires out of the park you talked about earlier hey on my in my ship experience i hired some of these senior execs and, you know, I'm kind of seeing through maybe some, some lines that you kind of set there, but you go, Hey, I, that didn't necessarily work. You need some, some scrappy people that are ready to do it. You know, I, I've heard it's like, Hey, we, we need leaders. Every company needs leaders. They need more leaders in some way, but right. Yeah. Like the senior execs, like, Hey, I'm hiring a leader, but they might be more of a specialist. And I need probably a scrappy person 
who's going to be a generalist, you even talked about like, they probably want to be founders themselves one day, right? Which also yes. you know, promotes yeah. both of these people have leadership aspirations, but these people's leadership aspirations was more suitable to my first 10 or, you know, I'm, I'm putting those two things together, but that got me yeah. kind of curious, uh, got my curiosity rolling, thinking about like, all right, double click into that. Like, how would you make the first 10 hires? Like, what are you looking for? Because you still, again, I'm guessing all these the senior execs probably had all amazing resumes in some way, yep. you know, all had probably incredible talents, but for some reason, they actually weren't the fits that maybe we would want in that first 10. Um, talk yeah, I, I, I didn't hire. So uh, I, I, at my first company, I, I didn't hire a lot of the senior execs early, um, right, right. but I, but I think that so what, what uh, because frankly, you just can't afford them. Yeah, um, but I think a common mistake is is hiring a lot of people who have had like cushy jobs and that are looking to go to like a cool startup. Mm -hmm. So like people from Google, Facebook, like I definitely stay way away from them yeah. um, because they are, as you said, specialists. And what you need for those the first 10 people are generalists. I love people that eventually want to start their own company. Um, they they may not, but just that 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 they have some sort of entrepreneurial um uh thing inside of them i yeah. love that because they'll they'll take on things that they weren't asked to and they'll figure out problems that yeah. that that and solutions that you, like it's like you, it's not you like if you're building a company it's not you as the founder you're not going to tell everybody what to do what you need to do is you need to get a bunch of people that are like everybody's aligned on like what the problem we're trying to solve and you need people to go out there themselves and like just solve stuff. And so you yeah. do need people that have that entrepreneurial, at least spirit in them um, and not used to the cushy jobs. Like I definitely stay away from, yeah, anybody who's had worked at like a, a massive company that hasn't demonstrated, I did as well early on. So like, but it hasn't demonstrated any sort of like um, scrappiness. Um, so like, do they do a lot of side projects is like for, for engineers, that's like a really great, like indication of like, are they just curious uh, at all? I think that's another curiosity is a huge, huge attribute of these, these different people. Have they done anything like, um, notable, um, in their, um, life and it doesn't need to re relate to work, but like, yeah. do they, do they really want to win? I think though, those are all the things that you want to do. Are they willing to, um, work for probably is going to be a lot less than they could get somewhere else. I think yeah. that even if you could afford it, I, I think that them taking a, a pay cut to come in and do something that's that it's going to, they're going to learn a lot that they're, they're joining you because they're going to learn a lot, not yeah. because they're going to make a ton of money. Um, that's what you really should be looking for. And, and I'd say like this, the senior exec, uh, like the, the mistakes that I made there are that we just hired them before we had product market fit. Like yeah. that was just the problem at, at ship. And I, I, I may take that lesson and, and um, now an airhouse that it, it may not be the, the right decision, but I'm, I'm kind of holding off to hiring those probably for a, a lot longer than a lot of other people would. So that means that there's probably going to be a lot more work for me and yeah. some of my other people. But I, I, I really like the people that love to just go and do something and take it on. Yeah. They don't need to have all of like the, the, their job description, like fully defined and um, like, 
they're just willing to go and do stuff. Like they see a right. problem, they go and solve it. Like that's what you want in like a smaller company. Um, and so that's what I, I still do. Now that we are also scaling the company up, I still do gravitate towards those people as leaders um, versus the people that have the amazing resume and all those things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't think that, that, that kind of actually turns me away. Like if somebody's worked at like Twitter or Google or, or Facebook or something like that, like, mm. um, and, and that may not be fair, but it's just like, they've had just such a cushy job. And, and it's just like, why did you join that in the first place? Like, is that what you really want? Uh, because you're not going to get it here. Like here, you're going to be doing a lot of different things that are not in your job description. And mm. you need to like be happy with that. And you want, you're want doing that. it to learn. Yeah. Um, so, um, but that may not be fair for some people who, who, um, are, are, have worked at those companies that do have that in there, but that's definitely something that I I, I look at, but definitely the the first 10 people that you hire, that is the culture of your company. That is, they're going to hire, they're, they're going to be, be setting the culture for you. That's, you could come up with all these, the stupid value words and all this shit. Like it doesn't matter. It's just the people that you hire yeah. are going to, they're going to be responsible for growing the company. So it's just really important that those first hires that you make, um, because you can't take that, that back. And once you, once your culture is established one way, you can't change it no matter what you yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's really hard to steer. No, that's good. I mean, I think they say the number's either 12% or 17% of like, if you had a culture and you were trying to shift it in any direction, you'd have to get that amount of people believing in this new way. And so, like you right. said, if you just start out with a 10 the way that you want, well, that scales to 100 for the most part. Exactly. Like, All right. Yeah. That helps us with our first 100. I can get the culture right there. And you know, like, right. then I got a whole whole different world of problems after that. But um, exactly. That's, that's really good, Kevin. Well, man. We're getting close to the time that we have allotted for you. Um, one yeah. thing that we we like to uh, just check, you know, we'll get some interesting responses uh, when I ask this question. Some are like, oh, dude, I don't like books or whatever. But many people do like books. We've mentioned several here today that might have been helpful resources for you at some point. But um, is there a, a philosophy of thinking? Is there a book or anything that you find yourself recommending often to, to others? Um, I, I, I definitely tend to go to more towards the, like the podcasts and, um, the, the, a lot of the, the YouTube stuff. Yeah. Um, just learning from interviews and stuff like that. But some of the, the good books, um, that I've read, uh, Peter Thiel has this one zero to one. Um, that's really good and really talks about like, there's a difference between like you creating that, that like product versus scaling it. And it, it, it really, it's a, it's a completely different, um, type of thing. And, and also you, you definitely argue that that's the hardest part is like you are creating something versus, versus bringing in people to scale something that's already working. Um, that's another good one. Um, another, another one that's really good, um, uh, Ben Horowitz from Andreessen, um, uh, he has a, a book called the hard things about, about hard things. Yeah. I've um, heard that. and that's, yeah, that really talks about his experience, um, running, uh, companies and just like how hard it really is and just getting into like the, the details. Um, oh, there's actually another one that is really, um, I think it's called, 
Burn. It's it's by the founder of Bonobos. Yeah, here it is. This, this is actually a really very interesting book. Um, Burn Rate by Andy Dunn. Um, so it talks about um, his uh, him founding Bonobos, and he he had um, uh, bipolar disorder. So it talks about like mel- uh, mental health and mm-hmm. like all of the crazy ups and downs and. It's his story is just wild, um, but that's it's very similar to like what a lot of other founders um, have gone through. So that is, I, I would I would probably out of the three books, I'd definitely recommend that out of the other ones. It, it's just it kind he kind of really takes you through everything plus adding on um, mental um, health uh, uh, issues, which founders typically have a lot of that um and uh so that that those are kind of the three that i would recommend but other than that like there's lots lots of podcasts out there um i think uh what are some what are some good ones um uh i like 20 minute vc when they do a lot of the the founder stuff and um the product stuff um not not so much a fan of just just the vc stuff that they 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 talk about um and what else? Mention your podcast. Uh, What's your podcast? Yeah, yeah, my yeah. I'm gonna put push Quick my plug. my podcast. So I, I created a podcast with some founder friends. It's called Second Time Founders, uh, and um, it's it's all about we're all venture second time venture um, founders, and we have a lot of guests on um, that um, we just talk about the kind of the journeys and learnings of yeah. building venture scale companies. Um, some are, some have failed, some have been very successful. Um, but there's just not a lot of people that like really like it's kind of founder to founder too. So it's not like an interview style and we can relate to what they're actually going through. So we've had people on from like billion dollar companies that have found a billion dollar companies. And it's, that's been a lot of just even just personally myself fun. So, and also in, in, in addition to reading and, and listening to this stuff, I would definitely recommend getting, if you are a CEO or founder, getting like a group that you get together with. Mm-hmm. So you could tell like, what are your problems? And, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of good to commiserate with each other. Um, but you also learn a lot. Um, and just having somebody being, being a CEO or, or a founder is extremely lonely. So having other peers that you can kind of, um, just just talk to uh, about things has been extremely helpful so i definitely add that in to um in addition to reading or, or listening to other other people um to um increase the chances of of your success yeah I like yeah i love that um final question just because you mentioned it are there any yeah. you know you maybe you just said what they are but are there any mental health resources that you think are particularly helpful for founders that you want them that you wish they could take advantage of? Uh, not necessarily founders. I think, I think it, it, it definitely is not just founder specific, but like therapy is great. I, I, I'm a, I'm a big uh, believer in that. I, I think exercise is one of the, the, that's, that's probably the biggest one for me. Um, mm, yeah. that that's really helped. Um, and yeah, I think, I think those, those things, but there's, yeah, there's not, not much specific around like founders, mental health. I think that the, the, the burn rate book is a really interesting read for yeah. sure. That kind of goes to like the, the extreme of like all, almost like for one, you almost 
didn't make it through like um but also mm-hmm. the company almost didn't survive and then he was able to sell the the company to walmart in the end i think it's a really interesting story cool yeah. i'm gonna check it out kevin man thank mm-hmm. you for your time thank you for being yeah. a guest on our show it was it's been a blast it has been so fun and i know i have learned a ton and i'm sure jordan has as well so thank you man seriously yeah, yeah. thanks so much guys founders thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results